0: 2 Kings chapter 2, last week, <clears throat> and I don't know, I, you know, there's a, there's a lot in here about Elisha, so I don't know how long I'm going to stay here. I don't know that I'll tackle every one of the stories, and every one of the miracles. He had twice as many miracles as Elijah had, and I don't know that I'll go into all of them, but <clears throat> I did get, thinking about the life of Elijah, and when Elijah left, then there had to be somebody that came along behind him. Elijah was... Um, uh, was a picture and top of John the Baptist in the New Testament. When John the Baptist was taken out, out of the picture, um, then somebody had to follow that. Somebody had to be the one that introduced Christ to the world, and that became the church. So I think in many ways, um, e- Elijah is a picture of John the Baptist, and, and then Elisha is a picture um, of the church. And so I wanted to look at Elisha because of, I think he gives us a beautiful picture of what we need to do in order to be faithful witnesses of the Lord Jesus. Last week, we just looked at his calling. Elijah, I don't think, knew Elisha. Um, Elisha probably had heard about Elijah, but they didn't have any kind of friendship or relationship that we know of other than that God told Elijah that Elisha will be your successor. This is where you'll find him. This is who he is. And Elijah just went by and threw his mantle at his feet and kept walking. Elisha was a plowboy. He was he was um, plowing with, um, with with twelve yoke of oxen. He with the twelfth and and um, he 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 ran Elijah down and said, you know, let me go home and tell my parents goodbye. And Elijah said, you do whatever you um, whatever you want to do. This is it's the balls in your court. You do with it what you will. And um, the Bible says that Elisha went home. And um, and killed the oxen that he was plowing with, and used the instruments, um, the yoke, that, um, the tools of his trade, and to to build a fire, and he cooked the oxen, had a feast, and left everything that he had behind to follow and to serve Elijah. And so the whole the title last week, the clickbait title, although it's it, I think it says what I want to say: um, burnt plows and cooked cows. He went all in. He he left everything that he knew behind. Um, to follow Elijah to who knows where to do who knows what. Uh, Elijah wasn't exactly the most popular figure in the nation of Israel. They just suffered three and a half years of drought because of his prophetic pronouncement. And so he was much hated by by many people, especially the false prophets, the idolaters, and the apostates. But his life after that, um, well, in that moment and beyond that moment, Elisha's life was marked by his obedience, by his willingness to sacrifice, and by his faithfulness. Um, now, it's not real clear. We're going, I'm going to read this text and kind of talk about it as I go this morning and make some application. It's not real clear how long Elisha spent serving Elijah. Um, And I've read it and studied it and looked at the the history of the kings that are recorded and tried to, and a lot of the dates as far as those kings is concerned, there's a lot of speculation there. But this is what I've kind of come up with, and I'm just going to throw this out there. It looks like Elijah, or Elisha served Elijah for at least six years and possibly up to 10 years. The, the, the water's a little muddy about these kings and when they actually came onto the scene. But Elisha spent at least six years and up to 10 years as nothing but a servant and a student to Elijah. <clears throat> it's interesting. <clears throat> I've been reading through the kings again. But um, <clears throat> from the time that he was called in First Kings chapter 19 um, to where we are this morning in Second Kings chapter 2, <clears throat> There's a number of years and a number of kings. Kings have died, new kings have come to power, they've died and other kings have come to power. <clears throat> so, but between his introduction in 1 Kings chapter 19 and 2 Kings chapter 2, his name's not even mentioned. Elijah's mentioned several times. Elijah's still um, serving God. Elijah's been busy. Elijah's, he's been God's powerful prophet. In fact, in chapter 1, you read where he sat up on a hilltop and, and 50 men came to get him and, um, and fire came down from heaven and devoured him. 50 more were sent in fire. So there's some powerful things that went on in Elijah's life, but Elisha is not even mentioned, although he's right alongside of him, um, serving, learning, um, just being quietly behind the scenes of this powerful prophet of God named Elijah. So we pick up the narrative then. The, the next time Elisha is mentioned is in 2 Kings chapter 2. <clears throat> Verse 1 says, It came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And let me just pause right here because this, this confused me when I the first time I read it, and I still have to think about it a little bit. But when you read this narrative as we go along, you'll find out um, that, that even though we're not told when it happened and we're not told how it happened, we're not given any information about it, all of the prophets of God, it seems, knew that this was Elijah's last day, including Elijah, including Elisha, including all the prophets that we'll see in the rest of this narrative. When God informed them of that and how God informed them of that, I don't know. I, and I'm not sure if the writer of this text is telling us about the whirlwind taking him up after he had seen that occurrence or if he knew that was how it was going to happen beforehand. So, um, but all of them knew, all of them knew in advance of this journey that we're about to read about that this was Elijah's last day on earth. Look at verse 2. Elijah said unto Elisha, "Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, as the Lord liveth, And as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets um, that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. <clears throat> and the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, "Tarry, I pray thee, here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. So they went from Gilgal to Bethel, and then from Bethel to Jericho, and then from Jericho to the Jordan River. And Elisha followed Eli- Elijah every step of the journey. Now, I, you can look at a map. It's probably around 30 miles, something uh, along those lines. Um, But Elisha followed Elijah every step of the way. At every junction, at every junction, Elijah said, you can stay here. In fact, he said, I pray you just stay here while I go on. At every junction, Elijah gave him liberty to stay. And at every junction, Elisha said, I'm not going to stay here. I'm going with you. In fact, if you look at the way he said it every time, he said, as, as, as sure as the Lord lives and as sure as you're still drawing breath in your body, as, as sure as your soul lives, I am not going to leave you. He knew that God had placed this calling on his life. And he said, as long as God's uh, in heavens above. And he knew what his job was, was to be a servant and student and, an initi- and eventually a successor to Elijah. He said, as sure as you're drawing breath in your body, I'm going with you all the way to the end. Elisha was dedicated to his calling to God. Elijah was dedicated to his um, tutelage, to his service, to his ministry underneath um, the headship, the authority of Elijah. At every junction, you see in the text, at every junction, the sons of the prophet, which was probably, and we'll see this later on in Elisha's in story, sons of the prophets are probably... Um, people that are, that are students of the Word of God and learning how to go out and proclaim the Word of God. And apparently they knew what was going to happen too. They understood this was Elijah's last day on earth. And at every junction, it looks like it, it has the appearance that they were trying to discourage Elisha from going on. Don't you know that he's going to be taken away today? And... and, and, and Maybe you don't want to be near what's going to happen. Maybe you don't want to be a part of what's going to happen. Don't you know that your master's going to be taken today? And so there was that, there was that discouraging um, 50 at a time. 50 came out saying, um, your master's going to be gone today. And, and he just said, yeah, I know it. And, and just hold your peace. I don't, I don't need you to hear that. There was a discouragement that tried to come upon him, but Elisha was undeterred. In his unto the end commitment to God's calling on his life, and to his place in ministry underneath Elisha, um, verse seven says, "And fifty men of the prophets, fifty men of the sons of the prophets, went and stood to view afar off, and they too stood by Jordan." I just want to—I I just want to chase a rabbit for just a minute. We sing songs sometimes about I won't—I ha- won't have to cross Jordan alone. Jordan is a picture; has become a picture and a type of death. It's a symbol of death in the Bible. I'm crossing the chilly Jordan. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Um, On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast, I cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. We sing those songs about Jordan because it is a picture of death. And so 50 people stood afar off. 50 men stood far off. They didn't go across the Jordan. They didn't go to the Jordan. They stood far off to watch what was about to happen. Elisha stood by Elijah at the banks of the Jordan and then verse 8 says Elijah took his mantle wrapped it together and smote the waters and they were divided hither and thither so that they too went over on dry ground and it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah Said unto Elisha ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee and Elisha said I pray thee let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless if thou see me when I am taken from thee it shall be so unto thee, but if not it shall not be so. And it came to pass as they still went on and talked, that behold there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Um there, there are several things that I want to just point out to you here that are not, that are not directly related to the main subject that I want to, that, that I want to impress upon you this morning. And, and, um, and, and part of this whole Jordan River experience, the whole smiting of the Jordan um, with the mantle for the waters to part and for them to cross over, that happened in the Exodus um, before they went into Jericho to conquer um, Jericho. And, and now it's happened again as Elijah the prophet um, smites that river and the waters uh, divide themselves. I, I see something in this, um, and, and maybe I'm making too much of it, um, but I think it's also true in how, well, there's actually another subject there, and let me just hold on to that for a minute. Um, saints don't have to taste the sting of death. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory um, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And so just like the Jordan River parted and they went over on dry land, there's a picture there, I think, of the fact that we don't have to experience death sting we get to go over on dry ground because Jesus took the sting of death for us. Um, he took our sin dead upon himself um, so that we can move into the Father's presence. The Bible said to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Um, and, and, and so we pass over the Jordan on dry ground. Um, I talked to a fellow yesterday, and it was interesting. He just came over, and um, I hadn't talked to, the, uh, to him in a long, long time. But... Um, uh, he, he died on the, and, and I didn't ask for this story. I didn't tell him what I was preaching or nothing, but I'm going to share it with you because I thought, wow, that, that's good. And, um, you know, I just asked him how he'd been. He said, well, I've had a rough go of it for a few years now. And, um, in fact, he said, I died on the operating table. He was having some kind of procedure. John's heart stopped. And um, he said, I can't tell you that I saw heaven. Um, but he said the, the room was full of light. And he said, I remember thinking, I have never felt this good before. And, um, and then he said, the next thing I knew, um, I heard a nurse's voice say, we've got a pulse. And he thought, no, don't, I, don't, I don't want to go back. Because he said the feeling that overwhelmed him was was as good as he had ever felt and that's i think that's what it means when the sting of death has been taken from us there may be suffering right up until that moment Um, but when it's time for us to cross jordan we cross it on dry ground because jesus took the sting of death for us now the whole the main subject of this whole sermon is this business of the double portion elisha asked for a a double portion. And I think it's important for us to understand it's what this was not he he was not asking this um so that he could do more, be more than Elijah was. He had seen Elijah's ministry and he just said I just want I want more of what you have. And a double portion, if you look in the scripture, the double portion was what was known as the inheritance of the firstborn son. And Elijah apparently didn't have any natural born sons and Elisha had become a son in the faith to him. And so what he asked for is, I just want the inheritance of the firstborn. Um, the firstborn in the family got twice the inheritance that the others got. And that was part of the, 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 Jewish, um, the Jewish tradition. And so what he asked for was just the first son's inheritance. I want a double portion of the Spirit that is upon you to fall upon me. Um, he was simply asking to be the heir of Elijah, to have what he had and to be able to do um, what he had done um, there, there's another little uh, rabbit to chase, but e- Enoch and Elijah represent a rapture. Both of them were taken to heaven without passing through death. Now, there's an interesting passage in, in, um, the book of Revelation where two men stand in front of the, the, re- the rebuilt temple and testify, um, and fire comes down from heaven. Um, actually, they, they're killed there, and, um, fires coming down from heaven devouring those around them first but then the antichrist has them killed and then they're resurrected and taken up to heaven again i personally believe that those two men are eating and elijah because I, I personally believe that all of us are going to have to experience that that change we're going to have to go through that that transition from mortal to immortal and so um, I, but they represent a rapture a separation a catching away into the very presence of god those horses that came along Um, Came along to divide Elisha and Elijah. And then the whirlwind caught Elijah up. The whirlwind of fire caught um, Elijah up into heaven. Look at verse 12. Elisha saw it. Remember what Elijah had said. You've asked me a hard thing. And I can't answer that on my own. But I can tell you if you see me when he takes me. Then you'll get what you asked for. If you don't see me then you won't have it. The Bible says Elisha saw it. And he cried, my father, my father the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more, and he tore hold of his own clothes and rent them in pieces, in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that had fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. And when the sons of the prophet, which were to view at Jericho, saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. And they said unto him, Behold now, there be with thy servants fifty strong men. Let them go, we pray thee, and seek thy master. Lest peradventure the spirit of the Lord hath taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send. And when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Send. They sent therefore fifty men, and they sought three days, but found him not. And when they came again to him, for he tarried at Jericho, he said unto them, Did I not say unto you, Go not? So the initial reaction that you see there is that Elisha had a very deep grief. Um, he, he had followed in the footsteps of this prophet for Six to ten years, um, he'd watched God use him mightily. He'd learned from him. He'd served him. He'd poured water in his hands, as we talked about last week. Um, And and he had become a father figure in his life. He had become a spiritual father to Elisha. So Elisha experienced a very deep grief right away. Um, Tore his garments, which was a big deal back then. They didn't have closets full of clothes like we have. And to tear his garment into two pieces was just a... A, a, a symbol, a sign of the depth of his, of his grief. But at the same time, he still understood that he had a calling and a purpose on his life that came from God. And so he took up Elijah's mantle, that, that same thing that Elijah had thrown at his feet when he called him into the ministry. He took up Elijah's mantle, which was the assumption of God's calling on his life to be Elijah's successor wherever that might lead him and i got i want to just remind you again elijah was not a well-loved man um he was respected in the sense that he had power with god and mighty things were done through him and feared in some ways um but 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 they the much of israel blamed elijah for their troubles even though the real trouble was their idolatry and apostasy So when Elisha takes up that mantle, he knows that he's about to walk into the same fire that Elijah had walked through in his 25, 35 years of ministry. He didn't know where that was going to lead him, but when he took up that mantle, um, he was assuming the responsibility of being the successor of Elijah the prophet. Now, I want to get to the application of it, but there are some things that need to precede that. Um, this, this whole story, this whole account mirrors the succession of ministry that happened from Moses to Joshua. Um, uh, Joshua was Moses' Elisha. He walked alongside of him. He supported him. He held his arms up. He did everything that he knew to do. And, and Moses was, was, was the leader of the nation of Israel. They all looked to him. Um, but there was a natural um, succession of ministry that went from Moses to Joshua and from one generation to another generation. Now if, if you if we don't do that faithfully, if, if, if that had not happened with Moses and Joshua, they they would have never conquered the promise. Listen those it, Israel was knuckleheads. <laughs> And they proved that in 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. They proved that over and over, even when they had went into the promised land. They learned lessons the hard way. They needed strong, faithful leadership. And they found that in Joshua. They found that in Caleb. And that those guys were faithful for 40 years of wilderness wanderings all the way into the conquest of Canaan. So, so, so if you don't do that faithfully, if you don't have a succession of ministry, if you don't hand off the baton, the way that it needs to be handed off, then then you run into a multi generational falling away and failure, like you see in the book of Judges. Um, when you when you get to the book of Judges, and 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 listen, the book of Joshua is nothing but a victory story. It's conquest. It's victory. It's an abundant life. It's everything that God had promised them and more. But then when you get to the book of Judges, you read this. You, you read this um, little script there that says, but there arose a generation after Joshua and Caleb who knew not the Lord um, or His mighty works or His ways um, in the children of Israel. And so there was the, the baton was dropped. Maybe it was on Joshua. Maybe it was on Caleb. But there arose a generation after Joshua and Caleb's generation um, that did not walk in the ways of God. They did not follow any leadership, and and so you got nations that are left without leaders. You got you got a nation that's left without godly leadership. And I think, that if I'm not mistaken, the Book of Judges covers about 350 years of history, and it was an awful time. And every time you turn around, the Bible says that they're that that they're in bondage, um, that they're being persecuted, um, that they're full of sin, that they're um, washed in idolatry. And, um, and all these catastrophes begin to come upon them and they cry unto the Lord and the Lord raises them up a deliverer. But some of those deliverers even were poor leaders. I mean, they, they, they did the job that God called them to do and delivered them, but they were poor leaders. Samson was a horrible leader. Um, not all of those men, they, they, they did the job that God sent them to do, but they didn't hand off the baton. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't have a successor in ministry. And so they fell right back down into that same slump again. So I, I want you to hear this because I think this is important, and this is the gist of this story. Um, God wants us to raise up the next generation. He wants us to, um, to put something in somebody um, that they'll take to the next generation. And somebody in that generation, the Apostle Paul told Timothy, "The things that you have learned and seen and heard in me, you do that, and you do." For others, what I've done for you, you go teach faithful men so that they can teach faithful men. So this business of succession of ministry, um, it it has to be done faithfully or we'll have a multi-generational falling away and failure. And can I tell you, I think that's where we're at in our nation today. Is that we've we've had a failure in succession of ministry and we're reaping the awful, awful consequences of that right now. Now, that doesn't mean there's a, that everybody has failed, um, but if you look at our nation as a whole, um, we, have, we, have, we have gone a long way away from what our foundational roots were. When Elisha asked for a double portion, he didn't know what that would mean. When he asked for a double portion, he did not know that God would use him to perform Twice as many miracles and served twice as long. Now, I've, 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 again, this is one of those numbers that's a little bit fuzzy, but it looks like that Elijah served somewhere between 25 and 35 years. Elijah served between 25 and 35 years. Elisha served between 50 and 70 years. And did there are twice as many miracles... Ascribed to Elisha as there was now his miracles were not as were not as flashy um, were not as maybe not as well known there wasn't fire coming down from heaven um, and devouring sacrifices but but twice as many miracles twice as much time in ministry when Elisha asked for that double portion he didn't know what that would mean um, he simply wanted to carry on he he wanted to leave the world a witness. He wanted to follow the example of his father in the faith. When he asked for a double portion, all he was asking was, God help me to do for somebody else what Elijah has done for me. Give me a double portion of what he had so that I can and and you'll see later on that Elisha is running a school for prophets. He's he literally has a not just one man, he has a group of men um that he's teaching, that he's schooling. Uh, in ministry. In fact, the Bible says that that school got so big and that they couldn't dwell in that place anymore. And There's another miracle associated with that. Um, I don't know if I said this last week or if, if I've said it in one of the services. I've, I've said it to a lot of people. and I, it, Brother Bill Mullis um, it has been without a doubt one of the most powerful spiritual influences I've ever had in my life. I said it this at his funeral and I may have told you this last week, but it illustrates what I'm trying to say to you this morning. Again, so very. It's, it's easy to see what I'm talking about when I just use Bill as an example. I said it at Bill's funeral, and I don't mean this. And I don't want you to take this the wrong way. But when I when you think about, and I think you'll say the same thing. When you think about the spiritual giants in your life, I'm talking about people that impacted you in a way. Um, that, you were for, that you were forever changed by that. Where they mentored you in a way, influenced you in a way that you'll never forget that impact and influence. When I count the, what I would consider the spiritual giants in my life, mentors, father figures in the faith, in all honesty, and I think most of us will say this if we're honest, I can count them on one hand. I can count them on one hand. Now, not, not, that's not to say that other people haven't been a blessing and an encouragement and an inspiration. Was, I couldn't count those if I tried. But when, when, when you talk about people that impacted your life in such a deep, profound way that you'll never be the same again, I can count them on one hand. And, and, and let me be even more honest with you than that. Um, I would tell you, number my, the, the primary, the most impactful man, John of the faith that I have ever known is my daddy. And he's my hero. He taught me um, how to love God and be committed to God through whatever the enemy throws at you. He taught me how to, how to love my wife the way Christ loves the church. Uh, he taught me how to raise my kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. He didn't just teach that with his words. He taught that with, with his example every day. So my daddy's number one on the list. Brother Bill's number two. And I'm and 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 the rest of the list is a little bit fuzzy, to be honest with you. I could name a few more, but I won't, but I don't really know what place they hold. Um I would just have to kind of lump them together and say <clears throat> that that they were a more impactful than anybody else, you know, than, than others. But my daddy's one, and Brother Bill is two, and that feels like, uh, in both accounts, that feels like super big shoes to fill. We had our first pastor's meeting without Brother Bill last Wednesday, and it just feels like there's this giant hole there um, that, that, that we all feel like Elisha felt, that we've, we've, we've lost a father in the faith we've lost a mentor we've lost a pastor Um, my daddy my daddy's faithfulness Um, I look at my life today and still wonder if I'm being as faithful as he has been and will I stay the course for as long as he stayed the course but this is also what I know my daddy's faithfulness is being perpetuated by all three of his kids We are patterning our life after what we saw and heard in Him. And eight grandkids, and some of them are still, well, I guess not. I guess all the grandkids are grown now. (laughs) All the grandkids are still in church, all the grandkids are serving Christ. And now there's, I think, eight great grandkids that are coming along. And, and I'll I just I, get a hold of this. One man's faithfulness changed three of his kids' life, changed eight of his grandkids' life, and without a doubt it's going to impact eight of his great-grands and their families. And so you see how all of a sudden now when you've got one man that stayed the course, um, refused to give up on God's calling and commission for him, has impacted multiple generations e- Elijah might have had influence over one king e- Elisha had influence over four kings if we do a good job at what God has called us to do we have the, we have the ability to impact generation after generation after generation brother Bill's impact is multiplied to his, through his church family there's not, there's not another church family in Waycross that follows the leadership of their pastor better than Bill Mullis' church. Um, next Sunday will be the Life Chain. <clears throat> I'm not going to be able to go this year because my family is going to do their Christmas that Sunday. That's the only time we could all get together. So I'm gonna, maybe Brother Bill won't whip me when I get to heaven. Um, <clears throat> but that was the Sunday that we chose when Daddy had the bypass surgery. So that's what we're going to do. But if you if you go to that Life Chain next Sunday, I promise that most of the people standing in that life chain, the majority of the people in that life chain will be people from Brother Bill Mullis' church. Because he, he led them many, many years ago to prioritize the sanctity of human life and to make that a visible, vocal stance. So his church family, he's impacted. There's, there's, there are four or five men in his church that are capable of filling the pulpit of that church and preaching biblical messages every week. One of them will rise to the position of pastor, I'm sure. Um, but, but only heaven knows how many pastors um, he has taught and mentored. And so I said all that to say this. I want to pass the baton of faith well. I want to multiply my ministry. Not for my glory, but I want to multiply my ministry in miracles and in time by passing along something to somebody else. So that long after I'm gone, that, that, that miracle of seeing people come to faith in Christ, um, <clears throat> that multi-generational impact carries on. I want to leave a legacy. I want my kids and grandkids to make a greater impact than I've made. I, I want them to do more than I've done. I, I want them to have a double portion and multiply the ministry of the gospel. Jesus said in John, I think it's John fourteen twelve. It was good for him to go away um, because he would send the comforter back. And he said, the works that I've done, you'll do. And greater works than these shall you do because I go to the Father. And what, was he, what he was referring to is, I'm going to put the Holy Spirit in you. I, he can't come into you until I leave you. But when I leave you, he's not just going to be with you. He's going to be in you. So that the, that the impact of ministry can be multiplied across the face of the earth. <clears throat> and so that's the spirit that we have. And that's the spirit that we And that we go forth into this world and pass along that baton of faith. Well, be fruitful and multiply isn't just about having babies. It's about impacting the world for Christ by being a good witness. So, real, as quickly as I can, let me give you the application. How do you get a double portion? And I know we could have went a lot of different ways with this whole business of the double portion. It just literally means, Elijah, I want all that you, I want everything That you have and more. I want to be able to go forth and do what you've done and more. I want to be able to impact more people than you have impacted. I want to be able to serve longer than you have served. So, how do you get a double portion? Follow a faithful one faithfully. I understand, understand me when I say, I, I know that Jesus is our primary example. That's unquestionable. Jesus is our primary example. But you know what it helps to do? It helps to find somebody that's following Jesus faithfully and follow them. Because I have a hard time measuring up to the identity of Christ. Um, I, and In all honesty, I need to see some frailty and failure. Um, in people's lives I don't need to see perfection because that looks so unattainable to me I need to see somebody that's just higher up on the higher up on the spectrum of faith than I am and aspire to be who they are and where they are and ultimately all of us are pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus but Joshua found Moses and followed him Elisha found Elijah and followed him. Timothy found Paul and followed him. So, so that's what I think we've got to find somebody that's doing this thing right. Somebody that's doing it right. Somebody um, that, that, that the Spirit of God radiates from their life. Somebody that's making an impact for the kingdom. Somebody that's having an influence in your own personal life. Latch on to them. Follow them. Serve them. Learn from them. Um, if, you, if you want a double portion of what they have, then you need to know what they have um, by walking alongside them. Secondly, gain on the gap. You don't have to stand far off and admire somebody else for their faithfulness. When I say gain the gap, I mean get closer. Go, go, go with them. Go, go on with them. Um, there, there's, you see them in there. There's 50 prophets who just following far off. Elisha said, "I'm just going to walk a little further. I'm going to walk a little closer." When God came to get Elijah, he had to send the chariots to divide them first because they were you know, in such fellowship with one another. So when I say gain on the gap, I mean don't just stand far off and admire somebody. Um, that's 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 fine. That's a good place to start. Stand off, uh, find somebody that you can admire, but then start closing the gap between um, you. Learn from them and move towards what you see in them. I believe this. I believe this with all my heart. Nobody has to stay where they are. Nobody does. And I will. I will even say this. You're you're not even confined by the example that you followed this far. You can go beyond that. You can go beyond that example. You're not confined by anything but your own desire for that double portion. You need to have that want in your life that I want to go further. I want to do more. I want to make a greater impact. Um, my daddy said. My daddy listens to the recorded sermons. Mom, him and Mama do every week, and I call him on Sunday nights, and, and Daddy will, he'll want to talk some about about the sermon. And, um, and, and my daddy has said on occasion, you taught me something today. That astounds me. That blows my mind. I mean, it does. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm like, how is it possible that the man that raised me, I put that man through hell, by the way, <laughs> when well, he stayed the course with me and, 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 and raised me in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, I, um, I can't. I can tell you a few of my daddy's flaws But they're really small And they're, they're far between um, but, but, but for my daddy to say That he's learned anything from me Not only proves that you can gain on the gap That you can find somebody to admire um, But you don't have to stand far off you can, go, you can go beyond where they are As a student and as a servant of the Lord um, I think it's possible for anybody to find an example, set your sights on it, and then exceed that example. Thirdly, dis- disregard the discouragers. I, if you're ever going to do anything for God, somebody's going to come along and discourage you in it. If you, if you ever want to do anything great for God, the enemy is going to make sure he's standing in your way. Any way that he can. So when I say disregard the discouragers, I mean you don't have to listen to them tell you what you can't do or what you shouldn't do. Just disregard them. Um, I remember when God was started calling, when when I felt that calling to ministry. There were some voices that were speaking in my head, and and I listen. This ain't mean people. This ain't this ain't even ungodly people. These are people that just the things that they said to me did not encourage me in my calling. It made me think maybe you can't do this. Maybe it's not a calling. Maybe you've misheard. And, and, and so you just have to be very careful that the voices that you, that you listen to are the same voices that are moving you in the direction that God wants you to go. And if they're not, just say no to them. Just disregard them. You know what Elisha said? Just be quiet. Just hold your peace. I don't need to hear what you have to say to me. I'll give you an illustration of that. we sitting at a dinner table right down the road there. Before God ever called me to this church as pastor, I was filling in from October to January. I won't call his name, but he was the he was our state leader at the time. He was the man it's kind of the what we would call our overseer for the whole state of Georgia. He came to church that morning, and listened to me preach, which was really intimidating to me because this man is very educated, holds the what would be considered the highest position. We don't really have a hierarchy, but um. He's kind of the oversight man of the whole state. And we sat at that dinner table and we finished eating. He pushed back from the table and he said, Brother Keith's doing a good job filling in for y'all. But you need to keep looking until you find a man with some education. And and then he looked at me and he said, "Um, you you need to go to Bible college. And you need to Become a student of the Scriptures and, and and learn how to pastor a church. Man, you want to you talk about somebody feeling like they kicked me in the gut? I got a wife and three kids. I mean, I've been out of I've been out of high school at that at that time, ten years, and um, ain't been you know only been in in church too, and I can't do that. I can't do that and and immediately I began to question God is this and, and you know I had to say you know what if God's called me to this he'll equip me and I've had Bible school I was raised in Bible school I was raised in the church I was raised in the Word and if the Holy Spirit lives in me and I knew that he did he can teach me whatever I need to know and by the way that same man came came to me at a state meeting about six seven years ago he's an old man now but he said I was wrong he said, I thought Zion Hill was, was on his way out. I was wrong about the church and about you. Sometimes you just have to tell people that they say you can't or you shouldn't. I don't want to hear it. I know what God's calling me to. Determined to go on in spite of what they say. The journey to God's best might be a long, hard haul. But it's going to be worth it all in the end. Number four, ask ambitiously. Don't be shy about asking for anything that's going to make you a more effective witness. And listen to me, we ask, we spend most of our prayer time, if we're honest, and that's asking for God to meet our physical needs. But what if we prayed sincerely, God, make me a better witness. Make me a better witness. Help me to learn your word and be proficient enough with it that I'm not afraid to be a witness. Give me opportunities to be a witness. Help me to teach somebody by my lips and by my life how to serve you. And, and, and asking ambitiously means you might even call some people by name and say, Lord, help me reach them. Help me reach that one for you. Help me to teach. Help me to, 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 to lead. Help me to, to be a more effective witness. I want to read to you a prayer. I got one more point and I'm done. Is nine but listen to this prayer the Apostle Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter three he said for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named and this is his prayer that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of God which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages world without end. amen that's an ambitious prayer that's Paul praying for the church at Ephesus and saying God, I want you to give them everything they need. Fill them up with your spirit so that they can glorify your name on this earth. And I want to say to you this morning, if Paul prayed that for Ephesus, then he prayed that for us. And we can pray that for us, and we should. And then the last point is, and and you can say this, I, I know this sounds just masculine, but man the mantle. Man the mantle, or woman the mantle, if you, want to, if you want to say it that way. Man the mantle. And all I mean by that is just pick up what God has put uh, in, in, in place for you to do. Just pick it up. Assume responsibility for it. And then you go with God's authority. If God's called you to it, He's given you the authority. But, but, don't, but don't go with that authority for your glory. Go with that authority for God's glory. And, um, and He'll keep pouring His Spirit upon you and using you. In that regard, and you'll be able to pass the baton off to, uh, to someone and impact generations by it. Multiply your ministry with the impact that you've made. There's an old hymn that we used to sing, and I'm not going to try to sing it to you because my voice is not that great this morning anyway. It never is. But there's an old hymn we used to sing as I was preparing this message um, that came to mind. I've been singing it over in my head ever since then. And The first two verses just tell us the story about Elijah and Elisha. But the last verse brings the personal application into play. I'm just going to read to you the last verse in the course. Lord, I always to thee pray just for strength from day to day. But I see there's so much to be done that I have to kneel anew and this favor ask of you a double portion. This fight must be won. Can you look around this world and see there's a lot to be done? There's a lot to be done. If every, if every Christ follower were, I, I, you don't even have to say if everyone, if 50% of the born-again, blood-bought Christians in our nation would say, Lord, look at the shape this world's in. I want to do my part to be a witness give me a double portion so we can win this nation back to you so we can turn the tide so we can raise up a generation that knows you and then the course just says give me Lord a double portion pour thy spirit on me through eyes of faith thy wondrous works I can see but I need thy helping hand in this troubled sinful land give me Lord A double portion from thee. Elisha was living in a time just like we're living. And he knew that he needed a double portion to do what God called him to do. We need that double portion this morning. Kim, will you come as we stand? Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge of your word. Thank you for reminding us what it takes to receive a double portion of your spirit. God, I pray that everyone in this room this morning would hear your calling upon their life and I don't believe for a minute that every person in this room is called to be a pastor filling a pulpit or even a teacher in a Sunday school classroom but we all have been called to be your witnesses we've all been called to be your ambassadors we've all been called to be prophets in some sense of the word and that we are a representative of you before a lost and dying world and we need a double portion of your spirit in order to do that Um, to, to proclaim it with our lives and with our lips, we need a double portion of your spirit. So we ask you this morning to help us. Help us do these things that are necessary for us to receive what Elisha received. Um, I pray that you would just have your will and your way in this invitation. And any and everything that's done, you deserve the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. With